Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so, so much for coming. We are the People's Orchestra. to the People's Orchestra, a fantastic community orchestra based in West Bromwich in the West Midlands. So far in this series, we've heard from players in the orchestra and from singers in one of their many show choirs. But the People's Orchestra is not just about creating opportunities for people who want to perform. It creates opportunities for non-musicians too, giving them the skills and the confidence they need to go on and have a brighter future. I'm Katie Derham and this is Just The Tonic, the podcast series that explores the power of the arts to enrich people's lives. In this episode, I'll be taking a look at how being involved in music making can help people get back their self-esteem. I'll be going behind the scenes at the People's Orchestra to meet staff and some of the people they've helped back into work. It's more than just the orchestra it's like a team of people who support you we'll also be hearing from streetwise opera who give people recovering from homelessness the chance to get their lives back on track through the power of opera we pretty much started as a response to a politician's statement that the homeless are the people that you walk over as you come out of the opera house well they've gone on to work with renowned composers like sir james mcmillan and I'm delighted to say he'll be joining me in this episode. I wanted to find out about the opportunities his festival, the Cumnock Trist, creates in his hometown in Ayrshire in Scotland. And we'll be chatting about why he was so keen to compose music for Streetwise Opera. It's a wonderful way that the world of the arts can come together with social projects like this and it allows musicians to work closely with a lot of people who would normally not get access to artistic expression. And you can see the growing confidence week on week. First up, though, let's go to the People's Orchestra HQ in West Bromwich to meet a member of staff who has a key role to play in keeping the show on the road. So I am here in uh, the beating heart of the head office of TPO, I'd say, so I've got Pete here. Pete, tell me who you are and what you do here. Hi, my name is Peter Davis, and I am the officially the clerk to the trustees, but I also do the accounts and the finance function and personnel and lots of other things, sell ice cream at concerts and anything that doesn't fit into um, a musical instrument playing role or like general musical roles, it's sort of everything else really. So obviously you are crucial to the running of this organisation. I mean, tell me why you think it's such a great place to work, you know, what it is that you're trying to achieve here. One of the things that they do here that makes it so special is they help find people jobs. People that come here with a lack of confidence and within a couple of months they're working behind the scenes on quite important projects like putting on a concert and a lot of people turn up at concerts, listen to the music and go on. They haven't got a clue what goes on in the background and how long it takes. So coming here when you see that they've 
helped about 200 people get jobs in the last couple of years. It, it suddenly makes it all worthwhile, but they do it on a shoestring. It's a very important place for me. As Pete said, the People's Orchestra audiences might not be aware of just how much work goes on behind the scenes. But as anyone who's ever been involved in putting on a concert knows, the backstage team are invaluable. Maria and Joel were on the government's Kickstart programme during their time with the People's Orchestra, and here's how the experience helped them. Before I got involved with the People's Orchestra, I was on Universal Credit looking for a job. I was really lacking confidence because every job I'd applied for was not successful. Before I came to CPR, I was kind of in and out of work and none of it was really what I wanted to do. Working in the People's Orchestra has given me that insight to see that it's more than just the orchestra, it's like a team of people who support you. And I think music is the, like the cherry on top that makes people happy and brings people together. I studied sound engineering and production at Birmingham City University, which was it's basically the same thing that I'm doing now at TPO, which is really good because I finally get to use everything I've learned. I've actually done some of the interviews for this podcast. It gave me so much confidence. It gives you that burst of joy, which I think is really important for young people who are not perhaps so experienced because it gives them that experience. I think my time at TPO has really helped in finding a new job. I'll be leaving soon as I've found a new job in acoustics in London. Sort of using some of the skills I've developed at TPO. It's been a brilliant place to work and I really enjoy helping out. I have got a job at a bank in Birmingham. The People's Orchestra, they really do push you to do well and to follow your dreams and just be happy. So I feel like I can do that and I'm confident to do that now. So the People's Orchestra helped Maria and Joel get a foot on the career ladder. But they've also helped people back into the workplace who've been experiencing difficulties through TPO Bridge. Now, this is a programme that's run by Marianne Harris. Here she is. The majority of people come to us via a recommendation through their work coach at their job centre. And people don't have to be musical in order to grab the support that's on offer. But what they do have to do is take part uh, with me in a one-to-one -one initial discussion that shares their, their circumstances and, more importantly, how they would like to proceed and to move forward. So it's very focused on them rather than me filling out a, a form that actually ticks a whole load of boxes. That's not the way it works. Certainly being unemployed can be quite a daunting thing and we all know that if we lose our job, we lose our income. And of course, that creates a problem for many in terms of confidence, um, self-esteem and the sorts of things that you lose your income, you're worried about your bills, but suddenly you drop title and, and everything that goes with um, being involved with people in a workplace, whatever that may be, it starts to dissolve and very, very quickly in my experience. So... Um, it's a very positive conversation with me that looks to putting that right and putting it back on a, a positive level that starts to um, encourage people to acknowledge that things will change for the better. One of the people Marianne has helped back into employment is Lee. 
the situation I was in, I'd worked in financial services for 18 years and I'd done various roles throughout the organisation. But in June 2018, there was a restructure that took place. And unfortunately, there was about 20 of us made redundant. I did struggle with the situation because I felt like really low after the event. I felt quite negative about myself and I thought, why has it happened to me and all that type of thing? And a friend of mine who also had been made redundant, funnily enough, with the same company, she asked me to get in touch with my local job centre. And I went to see uh, one of the work coaches in Hells Owen and they referred me to a lady called Marianne Harris. At the time, I had very, very low self-esteem. And I thought, well, where do I go from here? Because I felt lost, to be fair, because even though I'd got all these skills and I'd, I'd done various management roles and coaching roles, I still felt like I was worthless. So when I first visited, she like, asked me about myself, had a look at my CV and like just talked about like what I was interested in, just really getting to know me and then kind of talked about how she could support and help me. So within the space of about six to eight weeks, I'd gone from almost nothing to being offered a new job. It is so great to hear that the support the People's Orchestra gave to Maria, Joel and Lee helped them build the confidence they needed to find employment. I'd just like to say, welcome to Streetwise Opera! As Streetwise Opera, they help people recovering from homelessness build their self-esteem through the power of song. Here's their head of communications, Ray Trombetta. We are a bit of a mix between a homeless charity and an opera company. We've been around for the past 19 years. We pretty much started as a response to a politician's statement that the homeless are the people that you walk over as you come out of the opera house. A group of people who were homeless back then, they, they heard that statement and they were very upset and they said, well, we're actually going to put on an opera and that's how Streetwise started. Since then, we've worked with hundreds of people. Right now, we're basically working in London, Manchester, Nottingham delivering singing and creative workshops. We inspire and empower people recovering from homelessness. Ruben Witter is a tenor with Streetwise Opera in Nottingham. He's been involved with Streetwise since he became homeless. I thought that opera was for the elite, for the upper classes, you know. I don't believe that opera was so diverse and so inclusive. Initially, when I first came homeless, you know, I would presume that you know, friends and family had be some sort of Emotional support, like someone to talk to, someone who could, you know, help me with getting food or, or finding shelter, getting back on my feet. But no, like, like everyone just sort of ghosted me. And I was like, oh, um, okay then. And just the stigma that is attached to homelessness, people just, just assume that you're just tramps, just going to, to sleep in bus shelters. And, but when you are on the streets, people just like walk past you like you don't exist. 
and like work I'm a person here and I need help and I don't know what to do next. We work with people who are recovering from homelessness. They come into our workshops, they sing, they create music, they get inspired and empowered and just generally have a great time. And then they go off and uh, take part in performances that we put on, which are a great opportunity to show people that uh, those of us who've experienced homelessness, we're not different from anyone else. So that's one aspect. The other is something that we're doing right now, which is we deliver sessions inside homeless centers to get people creative, to get people singing, to get people to start to rethink who they are and how they can make the world a bit more beautiful. Right. I'm not exactly sure how we got to know each other. I think we first knew each other personally and through our Zoom sessions. Yes, I think it was three days after uh, the Prime Minister announced that people needed to stay home. We launched our first online sessions, even though it would not be possible to sing as a group online. People needed the company. People needed that little reminder that they are creative people, that they, they can do stuff that's admirable, stuff that's great. For example, during those months, we actually created a mini opera working with eight different composers. So Ruben was involved in those sessions, and I, I thought he was just brilliant the way he expressed himself and, and the ideas that he communicated. I have my own experience of homelessness, and, and one of the things that I discovered doing that, it's very easy to lose your self-esteem, to embrace this idea that you're not worthy, that you have nothing to give to the world. And uh, I think participation in the arts, but especially in singing and in something as unique as opera, uh, is something that really turns that around. It reminds you that, yes, you do have a value. So uh, it's... I think it's just been a real pleasure to see that in Ruben and in, in all the other participants that we have in, in all three regions. Opera was not started for the opera classes, but it was in one, one of the first forms of theatre that really spoke to the people at large. And I'm so grateful to really give that message to people that opera and classical music is really for everyone. Yeah, I love it. have my voice trained in, in vibrato and to have that power come out with your diaphragm I mean, was really a, a mesmerizing experience. I feel very, very transformed in the best way. It doesn't matter if it has a positive impact, but everyone deserves to be an artist if they want to be. Uh, at Streetwise, we, we believe that the truth or the answer to that is pretty much in the middle. We do believe that everyone has the right to sing, and at the same time, we do feel that it does have a positive transformational power. We do believe that people who experience homelessness, they might need a bit of emotional support. They might need a bit of a, an inspiration and, and a certain empowerment, but that doesn't mean that people who experience homelessness are very different from everyone else. I think in these very difficult times that we live, a lot of people in the UK are pretty much a couple of paychecks away from homelessness. The truth is, 
a lot of us need empowerment, a lot of us need inspiration, and a lot of us need to be reminded that we are all creative people, that we can just make the world a bit more beautiful. It was a consistent reminder that I'm a creative person, a consistent reminder that in my worst moments that I would not wish on any other person, that actually, no, you have a voice, you're a person, you're a human being. You can find out more about Ruben's story in a truly inspirational film by Streetwise Opera Nottingham at streetwiseopera.com. As Ray said earlier, Streetwise Opera has worked with many different composers, Anna Meredith, Mira Kalix and Gavin Bryars amongst them. In 2016, Streetwise Opera in Manchester invited the celebrated composer Sir James Macmillan to work with them on an abridged version of Bach's iconic oratorio St Matthew Passion. The production featured a new Resurrection finale, jointly written by Streetwise Opera performers and James, and it was performed in Manchester's historic Campfield Market with renowned choir The Sixteen. I caught up with James over Zoom and started off by asking him why he felt so inspired to work with Streetwise Opera. Uh, well, it's a fantastic organisation and uh, I've been aware of their work for many years. What they asked me to do was to imagine a different or a new finale to The Passion. The idea was that the text for this new finale, or the new final chorus, would actually emerge naturally from the group as it worked with me and as it worked with a librettist. And lovely bits of poetry began to emerge from all those taking part. Eventually it was all stitched together into a kind of conglomerate poem by the librettist and then given to me to set to music. So the text was very much the work of those who were taking part in the Passion Project. And then I got to work with the music. I had attended rehearsals, so I knew what they were doing. I knew, knew what their strengths were. I knew what they were capable of. I tried to make the music suit the group. Uh, but it was wonderful, I think, to hear their words being sung by them as part of the show so that they marked and stamped the passion, the back passion, with their own words and indeed their own voices. What was your impression of the members of Streetwise Opera? Well, it's a wonderful way the world of the arts can come together with social projects like this. And it allows musicians, and in this case librettists and others, to, to work closely uh, and in a very focused way 
quite an intimate way with a lot of people who would normally not get access to artistic expression. And they're able to perform, not just to their peers and families, but to a public. And you can feel the mounting excitement as the chorus members uh, work closely with, in my case, the members of the 16 and special animateurs that had been brought in to work with them. It's a marvellous way of social engagement to bring artists into the community like that. But because the, the standards are very high, you really feel it is something that catapults people onto a, a really quite a public stage in a very special way. And of course, it's not just about potentially discovering previously unknown talent in the members of the Streetwise Opera, but it's also about giving them confidence, isn't it? Giving them confidence which they can take out into the world afterwards. That's right. And you can see the growing confidence week on week. I've been involved in similar projects with young people and and older people too. And um, when we first go in, you can feel the shyness of of many in the group and the reticence and nervousness uh, about being asked to do something like this for the first time. And gradually you can feel a confidence coming back in the case of Streetwise or indeed a kind of confidence being built up from scratch and uh, music and the arts can do that even sometimes when you're working with people who might not want to be musicians eventually uh, or poets or, or composers nevertheless that sense of achievement and that sense of growing confidence is a marvellous way for that person in the group to grow and for the group to grow What's your background when it comes to engaging with community music? Well, I mean, I've been doing this for a a couple of decades now, and I think it was going back to the 1980s when there was a a kind of revolution in British music making with the likes of Gillian Moore, uh, who at that time was with the London Sinfonietta, and Catherine McDowell, who, of course, uh, runs the London Symphony Orchestra now. But when I knew her, well, I knew her when we were students at Edinburgh University, uh, but at one time, uh, one of our first jobs was running the education department of the Scottish Chamber Orchestra and you could feel a real excitement with ensembles like that that they were going into schools going into hospitals going into community groups going into prisons taking our skills in as musicians and they were very keen to work with composers you feel a great fulfillment being able to work with groups that maybe don't normally get access to classical music or to new music or to composers work and um, gradually you're thrown into these uh, amazing improvisatory sessions where people are making music up on the spot music of a high creative and imaginative value and gradually something very special begins to emerge from that interaction and it's grown and evolved over over the decades and I'm still doing a lot of that work and still trying to make it evolve up here with the Cumnock Trice, my little festival of music here in Scotland. So yes, tell us a bit about Cumnock Trice and, and exactly what you're wanting to achieve there with, with, as you say, music engaging with the community but also bringing wonderful role models as well and just great performers to the area. Yes, well, I established the Cumnock Trist about seven years ago. Our first festival was 2014. Uh, Cumnock is a little town in East Ayrshire where I'm from originally. I grew up there. I became a musician there. Uh, My first music making was with friends and family and teachers and schoolmates in the community there. 
I remember it as a very musical place. My, my grandfather, who was a very important figure in my life, got me started in music. He was a coal miner, and like many coal miners in the 20th century, had, had made music. He played the euphonium in colliery bands. Um, he got me my first cornet. He took me to my first band practices. He sang in the local church choir. Men and indeed women of these communities loved music of all sorts. So I remember Cumnock as an area, on one level, of course, it's an area of multiple deprivation. And in many of these post-industrial places where the mines were important but have disappeared, have had many economic and social problems to deal with. And they're involved in a kind of social regeneration in many ways. And music and the arts generally can help that regeneration. And when we saw what was happening in East Ayrshire, we, we thought we can make something happen here musically that can have an impact beyond the music itself. So yes, we bring in some of the great musicians of the world. Nicola Benedetti is our patron. She's also from Ayrshire originally. Uh, her grandparents lived in the, the Cumnock and Auchinleck area. She knew the area very well. She's been to perform a few times. We've had some fantastic choral groups come, like the 16. Our very first concert was given by the 16. The choir of Westminster Cathedral have been, the King Singers, the Scottish Chamber Orchestra and so on. So yes, we have these wonderful concerts, but we engage with the local community. We want them to be involved. We bring them into our festival chorus. Our compositional work in the schools are based on the very scenarios I just described to you, going in, improvised to begin with, and allow the music, the new compositions by these young people to emerge naturally from the group. And, and this is an ongoing aspiration for us at the Trist. A couple of things that I want to pick up on. I love what you're saying about how composers need to be able to write for the amateur performers as well as for the professional. I mean, it strikes me that we've got a good tradition of doing that, actually. Yes. The reason that, and the way that the Trist came about was I looked to what composers in this country had done in previous generations, and I saw that people like Benjamin Britten, of course, and Peter Maxwell Davis wanted to engage in some way or other with their communities. They wanted to be useful to their communities. And um, it seems to be a British thing. Uh, you can trace it right back to the likes of Holst and Von Williams, who saw their roles as composers, uh, as part of the community, as just as important as writing symphonies and uh, concertos for the great soloists of the world. And um, when Benjamin Britten set up his own festival in Aldborough in the 1940s, he made that community engagement a very central part of the ethos of the festival. He would write for local groups, local choral groups, local schools. Some of Benjamin Britten's greatest works are for children, like Noyes Flood and so on. And you can see that uh, Maxwell Davis did something similar at the St Magnus Festival in Orkney, which he established in the 1970s. And I used to trek up there as an undergraduate uh, and I was in awe of what Maxwell Davis was doing there. Not only were these great musicians coming, uh, but he was writing music for the local schools. I, I attended the first performance of his Cinderella children's opera. And I always wondered, would I ever do something similar? And eventually I did. And I began to see that that engagement with the community was absolutely central to the future of so-called serious music in this country. But in retrospect, you're right. It, it's something that the British composer has been naturally drawn to. It's one of the jewels and the crowns of the British musical experience, I think. 
Looking back at the work that you've done so far, and I know you'll continue to do with communities and engaging people with music, new music, old music, can you give me a couple of examples of what they're really getting out of it? Because I think, you know, what I love about the power of the arts and and music is, yes, it's enjoyment. Yes, it's community and bringing people together and and well-being, that wonderful feeling of of being in an audience or being in a performing group and, you know, how music can transport you. But it is actually more concrete than that, isn't it? In many instances, you know, people are learning to live in a new way often. And I'd love to hear if you've got any sort of stories or examples of seeing that happen. You're right. Music allows communities to see something of themselves in a way that they perhaps never saw before. When we formed our festival chorus, it was with people, some of whom had never sung in choirs before, some of whom had never sung before, but we were determined that the chorus was going to operate at a very high artistic level. So we brought on board a marvellous choral trainer, Eamon Dugan, uh, who is one of Harry Christopher's protégés at the 16, a member of the 16. And he worked these people very hard. And that sense of worth and achievement that comes from that it is something that operates at an artistic level, but it goes deeper. It goes deeper into the individual psyche and sense of achievement working with their colleagues and friends in the community. It's a phenomenally important piece of work that you've done there. I'm sure has brought pleasure to, to thousands. Challenges, I'm sure, were there getting it off the ground. And for people listening to this who may be inspired to want to try and do something similar, did you find that your message was landing on fertile ground? I mean, how tough was it to actually get it going? Because, you know, these things take resources, don't they? Yes, it was a step into the dark, but I I kind of knew, being from there, I suppose, and having grown up in East Ayrshire, that there would be fertile ground there. Lots of people in my world of music said to me, why Cumnock? Many were astonished, I have to admit, that we were thinking about building a festival like this in a community that some did not associate with the high arts, as we sometimes call them. But I knew that there was this thirst and deep engagement uh, with these beautiful things in communities like that. And I knew that our intentions and our aspirations would take root. My thanks to Sir James Macmillan, to Rachel Better and Reuben Witter at Streetwise Opera, and to Peter Davis, Marianne Harris, Lee, Maria and Joel at the People's Orchestra. And special thanks to Joel and to Ray for helping out with the recordings for this episode too. In the next episode, I'll be having a chat with award-winning conductor Charles Hazelwood. He's reinventing the orchestra for the 21st century with his para-orchestra, removing barriers to disabled musicians working in the mainstream. We'll also be hearing from staff and young people at Sistema Scotland's Big Noise Project in Raploch in Stirling, where Nicola Benedetti is a musical big sister. And I'll be finding out how their programmes are transforming lives in communities in Scotland. We've heard in previous episodes about the amazing benefits music can have on our general well-being. And if you haven't managed to listen yet, you can find them in your favourite podcast app. There has long been a correlation between musical training and academic success for children, but so many other benefits too. What are they? Well, you'll have to listen to the next episode to find out. If you're thinking about joining a choir or a community orchestra, or maybe looking for musicians to start a band, search online for community arts organisations in your area, or get in touch with Arts Council England, the Arts Council of Wales, the Arts Council of Northern Ireland, or Creative Scotland. 
Just the Tonic with Katie Derham was produced by Jill Davis and is a Peanut and Crumb production supported by the People's Orchestra and Arts Council England.